Ready to find your next favorite podcast? Start here. You'll see people not shut down projects, not abandon a product they're developing, or even not leave their job because they'll say, well, then I'll have wasted my time or my money if I quit. I think the name tags is something that people often don't understand the importance of. Years ago, Newsweek magazine called us the sexiest zoo in America Hmm. because of our breeding program. And we lead the world in breeding black rhinos, for instance, and uh, certainly Sumatran rhinos were the only zoo that ever figured that out. But yeah, we're on a run. We've got a pregnant tamandua, which is a uh, arboreal anteater from South America that's due uh, later this fall. On the way today, we sampled business podcasts with HBR's IdeaCast, My Wake Up Call with Dr. Mark Golston, and Above the Fold from the Cincinnati Business Courier. Welcome to Start Here from Cincinnati Public Radio. I'm Trip Eldridge. Each week, we sample and highlight three podcasts to help you navigate the exploding podcast world and maybe find your next podcast obsession. Plus, get an email summary of each podcast we feature with our weekly Start Here email blast. Just go to wvxu.org slash subscribe and select the Start Here Blast email at the bottom of the page. And if you like what you hear, please rate us an Apple podcast. A five-star rating will help others find us in the iTunes gallery. With special thanks to Cincinnati Public Radio's Ronnie Salerno and Kevin Reynolds, let's start here. In the world of business, podcasts unlock a whole new resource because they can bring to life what's usually only available through the written word, like books, blogs, magazines. Well, this episode focuses on business podcasts that unlock content that's normally not available in audio form without charge. Let's begin with the Harvard Business Review's HBR IdeaCast podcast. While HBR's research and most of its articles are tucked behind paywalls, listening to this podcast is completely free. Superstar guests like Eric Schmidt from Google and former U.S. President Clinton and recent topics including how to manage someone who enjoys talking to their co-workers a little too much, challenges that minorities face at work, and unconventional ways of thinking that can help individuals and companies stand out. And if you've ever read a Harvard Business Review article, you probably already know that the Crimson style is buttoned up, no-nonsense, expert-led, and results-driven. What more could you want out of a business podcast? These short episodes, often 20 to 30 minutes in length, highlight the concepts that major companies around the world are thinking about and using to increase their competitive advantage and productivity. Let's sample HBR's IdeaCast with a recent episode that explores logical fallacies that cause people to decide they can't quit something. You know, in your work as a consultant, a human moving about the world, (laughs) which one do you see arise most often for individuals thinking about their careers? I can't really pick one because I think it's a combination of two things. One would go under the broad category of sunk cost. So in a job setting, you'll see people not shut down projects, not abandon a product they're developing or even not leave their job because they'll say, well, then I'll have wasted my time or my money if I quit, right? So we don't want to leave a job because we say, I've put so much time into it. I've spent all this years in school and training and learning the culture. And if I quit, I'll have wasted all of that time. I don't want to shut this project down because what about all the money that we've already spent on it? If I quit, there's no way that I can get that back. Now, that that's a fallacy because it's already spent. What really matters is whether the next minute or the next dollar or the next bit of effort that you put into that project is worthwhile. So I would say that's a very strong force 
that stops us from quitting. But interestingly, on the other side of things, I would say that loss aversion also really stops us from quitting. Loss aversion has to do with a problem with starting things Mm -hmm. in the sense that we focus on the potential losses that are associated with the decision that we might make, sort of not thinking about what the expected value is or what the overall return on investment is. You might ask, well, what does that have to do with quitting? Well, when you're quitting something, you're not just quitting, you're going to start something new. Mm -hmm. And so if we have an aversion to starting things where we imagine the ways in which they might not work out, this will actually stop us from starting new things, which in turn stops us from quitting. So a simple example of that is you'll hear people when they're in a job that they hate say things like, well, I don't want to quit because what if I take a new job and I hate that one and it's not good? The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Right. And and that's really the loss aversion speaking, right? It's like, well, I know I'm going to be miserable in this job, but if I start something new, what if I'm miserable in that as well? Never mind the fact that you have a much higher probability of being happy in the new endeavor than the one that you're sticking to. And just for people who are thinking, well, don't you have loss aversion for the things that you're already doing? The answer is not as much. It's asymmetric because the status quo, whatever it is that we're sticking to, we don't think about that as starting something new every day, even though in reality it is. Our first business featured podcast, HBR's Idea Cask. Get more now from the podcast menu at wvxu.org. Select start here. A familiar narrative in business is failure is not an option, but most entrepreneurs, managers, and directors have a story about failure. Transformational coach Dr. Mark Golston's Wake Up Call podcast focuses on the single compelling premise. Each of his guests have made something of themselves, but only after they hit some sort of rock bottom and experience the titular Wake Up Call. The drama levels vary wildly sometimes. The wake-up call is releasing. They were in the wrong careers, sometimes being sent to prison. But in each case, it's inspirational stories about business people for whom success hasn't come via the conventional route. In this sample, Mark speaks with entrepreneur Nick Gray about his new book, Two-Hour Cocktail Party. In this clip, Nick shares the key elements to hosting a party that's specifically designed to create new friendships and relationships. I'm thinking about my parents. They're 65. They hosted a party. They kind of had to, right? I'm their son. I made them do it. And they had so much fun. And they used my Nick party formula, N-I-C-K. N stands for name tags. Got to have name tags for everyone who shows up. I stands for icebreakers. You'll do three rounds of icebreakers at your party. C stands for cocktails only. No dinner. This is not a dinner party. I can talk why later. And K stands for kick them out at the end. It's only a two-hour party. The counterintuitive. Oh, sorry. Yep. What's up, Mark? That's worth repeating. Just just repeat that because that was perfect. Hey, thank you. N is name tags. I is icebreakers. C is cocktails only. And K is kick them out at the end. You know, I, you know that is hidden in plain sight, and I can see it, and I think it would work. But continue, please. I think the name tags is something that people often 
don't understand the importance of for even a social gathering. I went to a party last week in New York City. I was invited to one. I'm lucky to get invited to parties. And I asked the host, he said he's going to have 30, 40, 50 people. I said, oh, oh, that's awesome. Do you need name tags? Do you want me to bring some? Because I always have some with me. And he said, oh, no, we're not going to use name tags. You know, this isn't a business party. And I'm just thinking about my own parents' example that maybe they knew some neighbors from walking around in their neighborhood, but they don't always know the spouse's name. They don't know every... In a room full of 15 or 20 people, which by the way, that's my perfect formula. You got to have 15 people. In a room full of 15 people, it's awful hard to remember those 15 names. And when you do a name tag, it makes people feel more included It helps those like myself with a bad memory for names to not have to worry about that. And it's also a visual unifier that there's no clicks. There's no pre-existing friend groups. It's a safe space to go meet new people. So it sounds silly, Mark, but I feel like that's the hill I'm going to die on. If your listeners take one piece of advice from today, at your next gathering, birthday party, whatever, try using name tags, even for your friends. Our business podcast sample, Wake Up Call with Dr. Mark Golston. Get more Wake Up Calls on the podcast menu at wvxu.org. Just choose Start Here. On to our local business podcast. It's called Above the Fold, and it's produced by the Cincinnati Business Courier. It's brand new this fall, but as in many podcasts, this podcast gives you insights and perspectives that you'd get from subscribing to the magazine, all for free. In fact, the Business Courier zeroes in on the most important stories of the week, so you get the wheat separated from the chaff. In this sample, host Andy Brownfield and Rob Dommeyer speak with Cincinnati Zoo's Thane Maynard about the impact of Fiona the Hippo, what the zoo's plans with its $150 million expansion money, and how it stays good neighbors while expanding in landlocked Avondale. In this clip, Thane shares how the zoo approaches breeding the animals we find there. Michelle sent me an email, sent me the, the news about the uh, pregnant sloth. Yeah. So it's it seems like, I don't know if there's something in the water, but you guys have had a, a lot of zoo babies recently. You know, at the zoo, it's very interesting. Um, years ago, Newsweek magazine called us the sexiest zoo in America hmm. because of our breeding program. And we lead the world in breeding black rhinos, for instance, and uh, certainly Sumatran rhinos were the only zoo that ever figured that out. But, yeah, we're on a run. We've got a pregnant tamandua, which is a uh, arboreal anteater from South America that's due uh, later this fall. And, of course, lightning, our uh, two-toed sloth, is big news. We haven't had a baby sloth in a long, long time at our zoo. Um, and she was pregnant a couple of years ago, and um, it took a long, long time. And sadly, eventually, she gave birth to a stillborn animal. But she's pregnant again, and they've done ultrasounds, and the baby looks healthy. So we're hoping by next summer, visitors will be able to see lightning and of the baby. Uh, right now they can see Mo, who's the dad. He lives in our Discovery Forest in our education center. But uh, Lightning's over in our animal ambassador area where she can get more TLC. Wow. Uh, so I, I know that the breeding program at the zoo goes a lot toward your work in animal and species conservation, but I have to imagine it's a, it's a pretty big draw among guests as well. You know, it is. I've worked at the zoo a long, long time, and that whole process has changed. Historically, there was more of a zoos are a wildlife farm. Just breed them if you got them, and there would always be somewhere to send them. 
today because uh, endangered species are tightly controlled and accredited zoos like ours pretty much just try to deal only with other accredited zoos. You can only have so many babies because say you had lions, which breed real easily. They live in big, the only cat that live in a big family group in the wild. So in a zoo setting, they're really comfortable and you could breed them every year. But there's only so many spaces in zoos where they need some more baby lions. So a surprising number of our animals, particularly our mammals, are on birth control. Hmm. And then we tightly manage, okay, if we're going to breed, say, gorillas, again, they breed easily in captivity. We've bred 50 babies since 1970. From our local creators, the Cincinnati Business Courier. That's Above the Fold. Listen to more episodes now at the Start Here Collections page on wvxu.org slash start here. To the charts we go, our usual and customary look at the Apple Podcast charts to see what's hot around the country as presented by Chartable.com. Debuting earlier this month and now at the top of the charts is the NBC podcast Murder and Magnolias. They were the very picture of a perfect couple in the land of Spanish moss and sweet magnolias. But when a hitman targets one of them, a story of betrayal and murderous intent unfolds. In Dateline NBC's latest podcast, Keith Morrison takes us to the low country of South Carolina to the twisted tale. That's Murder and Magnolias, number one on the Apple Podcast charts. To learn more about Murder and Magnolias and the other podcasts we featured today, just check out the Start Here email. Go to wvxu.org slash subscribe and choose the Start Here newsletter at the bottom of the page. Thank you for joining us for Start Here, Cincinnati Public Radio's Discovery Podcast. For more about other podcasts we like, check out the Start Here collection at wvxu.org. It's our new specially curated collection of podcasts we think you might enjoy. Plus, check out the local podcast collection, podcasts created right here in Cincinnati by our local creators. And remember, if you've got a podcast or an episode you'd like to recommend, email us at podcast at wvxu.org. I'm Trip Eldridge for Cincinnati Public Radio, and thank you for choosing to start here.